Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another round of Supercoach preseason episodes. This episode, we have the Canberra Raiders to unravel a week before the league actually kicks off. To talk about the Canberra Raiders, I have a Knights fan in Luke Garrity because I don't have very many Canberra Raiders fans that I know that can uh, jump on with me. So, Luke, welcome aboard, mate. Good to have you again to talk about Supercoach with the Canberra Raiders. Keen as, mate. That's right. We can all get behind the milk, so I'm um, happy to step in. And I uh, don't know if I'll talk up the Raiders might not be the right word, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, guys, uh, we've got the Supercoach episodes coming in with the last few pre-season episodes for team reviews. Uh, I'm sorry that they're going to be very close to TLT anyway. The reason is because I was off sick at the start of the week with COVID. Uh, so this last week has just been an absolute write-off. It's been pretty rough, but I wanted to make sure that I got to all of them. So I am going to. Canberra Raiders, this is going to be an interesting one because I think that they're pretty volatile, Luke, and also pretty different person to person who you talk to on how people think they're going to go. Um, for super coach options, I'm not sure how well they've been going the last couple of years. And old crazy man Ricky down there doesn't really help us. But when we're looking at their season on how they went in 2021 to try and predict where they're going in 2022, which is going to impact super coach a lot, they finished 10th. And it was very disappointing. Um, I think that, yeah, certainly at the start of the season, a lot of people sort of saw them as, you know, getting into the top eight, whether that was just sneaking in or whatever, they would be there didn't make it um, and it was interesting how they didn't make it. So certainly their their defence wasn't good, but it was better than the teams all behind them at least. Minus 97 differential overall uh, and it was actually better than a couple of the teams that made the top eight. You know, their defence was better than the Titans. It was pretty close to the Knights, uh, but their attack is what really let them down. 481 points scored. Team that was in eight in the Titans scored 580 um, the only team ahead of them they scored more points than was the Newcastle Knights, whose attack was, as we've discussed, ad nauseum, not, not the greatest. Um, but the real interesting stat from last year for me, Luke, was that they their home record was actually four and eight. Their away record was six and six. Mm. So normally at home, they're quite good at GIA Stadium um, and it's quite a hard place to go down to. But it didn't really, it wasn't the story at all in 2021. They, they didn't go well there at all. 2022? they've obviously just lost their key halfback signing and they're going to be playing a rookie, which we'll be talking about a lot. So that's a big blow. Uh, They've got Rappiner out for the first two weeks, I think it is as well. Uh, And they've got people that have left last year, which we'll talk about their ins and outs as well. But certainly I'm not picking them to make the eight again. I kind of think that their, their range now is probably that nine to 13 scenario. I could maybe see them completely unraveling. Luke, what do you make of you know how Canberra went last year and where you see him in twenty twenty two? Um well, I've tipped I tipped the Raiders to miss the eight the year they made the grand final, the year they made the prelim and last year. So I can only claim last year so much. <laughs> <laughs> um but I so I'm gonna still say that I, I I haven't judged them well. But what I will say is my reasoning was the same every year and that I saw a bit of a ceiling on them. And what I saw them is a team that was very effort-based and that had to be up all the time. 
Um, when I watched the Raiders play, so many times, like, tries were all off effort. Like, they'd win a game 20 to 10 by being really hard and aggressive, like the old Cronulla Sharks and the, the Gallon and Jeremy Smith and th- those sort of days mm. where they were just hard to beat. They made themselves really hard to beat, but their upside wasn't huge. They'd sort of, like, wrestle the game, get on top of you and score off a grubber, score off a play where they kick and it hits legs and then they're the ones with more desire to get there or then Bateman would spark something or, you know, Whiten would get over the line with a good run when they had all that momentum. So it was sort of the situation where I felt that of all the teams that could be afford to be off their game that were in the top four, six sides, they were the ones that would suffer the most. I feel like teams like Penrith and Melbourne and the Roosters can play 85% of their best footy and have Tedesco and Kiri or Cleary and Luai and Kikau, for example, just rescue them anyway and get out of jail against a lot of teams. So they might not be, you know, if the Roosters, oh, sorry, if Penrith are 10% off female, and yeah, they won't win, but they can be 10% off, off the bottom eight and still win those games. So, and the Raiders felt like a team that had to play intense, hard at their best football all the time to be up there. And firstly, that doesn't tend to work for five or six years. It could be one or two because guys age, um, guys get weary. If you get a few injuries, it can hurt you a lot. And and that's sort of where I saw them as saying that they're not in a position to, they, just, they look a bit more busted and a bit less able to play that hard football. Um, so going into this year, I sort of say, well, if they play that tough, hard football at their best, I could see them sneaking into seventh or eighth. And if they don't, I think they're going to be back around 10 to 12 again. And, and the Fogarty signing is a hard one because organisation was their other issue. If you're going to call me out and say I'm too simple on them, what you would say is that organisation's been a problem for them for a little while and that he was probably going to come and bring that and free whiten up a little bit more. Uh, So a lot will depend on how this young guy goes at halfback and I just simply haven't seen him, so I can't give you an answer on that. But I I think that aside, I still didn't see them as being a, a top four side again with Fogarty because you can free whiten up all you like, but he, he isn't, Cody Walker or, or a Milford at his best sort of spark player that needs to be freed up to do all this loose stuff. He's an aggressive, hard tackling and a good runner of the, the ball, right? So you need front football and you get it to him and he can give you a lot of trouble, but he's not necessarily a guy where you steer the team around and give it to him and he ices a heap of try assists. So for me, I just think they're really simply at their best. They can compete with the, with the sides and make a really good game at the time at the top of the ladder, but it's very hard to do that for 22 weeks if that's all you've got. I just don't see that fallback that other really good football mm. teams have that you can fall back on Tedesco to just beat the Knights even if you're at 80%. Um, when they're at 80%, they're not good enough. Yeah, I don't love it for Supercoach purposes. Like, There's even some mm. bottom teams that you sort of don't mind for Supercoach. I mean, the Tigers in prior years have been a good one where they don't make the eight, but they score They score points. Yeah. The defensive is an issue, but... You know, yeah, the point scoring makes it actually quite a good super coach team to look at still when they've got good runs or whatever. When the Raiders have a good run, it really doesn't matter too much because they don't have no. a, a lot of points in them these days. And it's a far cry from the Lepana days of, of BJ and Rapana running right and those guys scoring mm. a lot of points and stuff. And like you said, their halves aren't halves that really generate a lot of tries or anything. They're just their fullback. You know, it's, it's a real yeah. sort of... So if they go on a run, who do you pick is really the question, isn't it? When you go on mm. there, there's not... A, when you If you see six games for South Sydney where against the bottom, you know, six sides, you know who to pick. 
which you know, it's going to be Cody Walker or uh, maybe Latrell or, you know, in other teams, if the Knights have a run of guys and they were playing the last four teams on the table, Ponga is the guy you try and cash in on, right? Or you pick the left winger yep. or something. I, I, who would you, that's the thing with the Raiders is if they had a really good run, I couldn't advise anyone or know myself which Raider I was supposed to get that was going to definitely cash in on that because it's sort of this team effort of, you know, they all mm. do their bit, isn't it? It's not a, it's not a guy who's just going to route everyone and you don't get those games where three of them score 120 130 points no you just don't get that and when we're having a look at the draw for them i'd probably say it's mediocre it's not bad it's not great and it's sort of really up and down which is probably Mm. a microcosm of what who the raiders are start off with the sharks and the cowboys and the Titans. so certainly the first three weeks i think are pretty solid Um, the sharks even have a couple of outs now with their ford pack so uh, that actually looks okay that first three weeks but then after the Sharks, Cowboys and Titans, they then hit Manly and also the Storm. And that's mm. a killer couple of weeks. Cowboys gives them a bit of a reprieve, but then they hit the, the Panthers. So all of a sudden, between around four and seven, they hit potentially three top four teams in the, the Seagulls, the Storm, the Panthers. Good first few weeks, bad next month. Um, and then it opens up again from round eight where they go Warriors, Bulldogs, Sharks, and you think you've got a bit of a reprieve again with those three games coming, and then you hit Souths, Eels, and Roosters, albeit at the bye. So mm. every time they seem to have a, a good two- or three-game run, they hit a real tough two- or three-game patch. So it makes it pretty hard. Also makes it hard with, when you look at that draw is that normally you'd sort of target, you know, look, if they've got a slew of home games, GIO Stadium's pretty hard to play at. They normally have a good record there. They didn't last year. And these are a much different side. So whether that continues on and they don't go as well at home remains to be seen. So overall, I think the draw is pretty average. When we're having a look at actually the changes in the side, Luke, just to quickly run the rule over those, they had some okay gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Nick Kotrick fan, and certainly he didn't go well at the Bulldogs. And I said, you know, he didn't go well at the Bulldogs. I do think that it just wasn't a good fit in a lot of ways. Um I do think that he can play centre better than what he did when he got a bit of a chance at the Dogs. But the Dogs were the worst defensive team in the league and you put a guy in there with some defensive issues and learnings that he needed and the guys that were supporting him doing that were the worst in the NRL. So that was never going to work out well for anyone. Um, He was visibly frustrated at times, not getting his hand on the ball and not taking as many runs as he wanted to. And he obviously got injured as well. He's a good game for the Raiders. I thought that he played well there. They got him on a cut price deal, really, because Canterbury's paying some of the money for this year as well. So I actually think it's a relatively a, a quite a good signing. Adam Elliott, I think, is a terrible signing, although they haven't spent that much money on him by all accounts. Um, but I really don't like it. Fogarty looked like a decent signing, but he's now out for four months plus, which is hard. And then on the losses, couldn't say that they really lost a lot. You know, the, certainly guy, the guys went through last year, like George Williams, so you can't really count those. It was time for Havili to move on. Mm. It was time for Janamis Louis to move on. Ryan James, this was depth for them, as was Bailey Simonson. I don't think they really lost a lot. So, you know, overall, they're probably at least as good, if not a little bit better, I would say, than what they were. Um, having to play a, a rookie halfback is probably the big personnel change over the first four months I reckon that's going to really affect them compared to last year on the yeah on that's the probably all fair Kotrick um you know we've seen that work out okay with with Ramian he went to the Knights and was terrible and he went back to Cronulla and sort of was able to get back to broadly 
what he, he's got his problems too, but he was broadly able to do what he did mm. for them in his first year again and, and bounce. So Kotrick could work out similarly back in a similar environment and they're paying him less. So given they didn't make the eight anyway, that's probably a good bit of business yeah. now that they instead of paying him 600, they're probably paying him whatever. Now, um, Fogarty will be a loss, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, it, it brings me to sort of my criticism's the wrong word because I really like him, but Whiten, um, the shortcomings of Whiten. So, so, so Jack Whiten, when he was playing fullback and when he first moved to six, I always used to say that he was one of those no-name players that people didn't get. Like he didn't have a big name unless you're into footy. Uh, he wasn't that. You know, he'd had a smaller name than Josh Reynolds and Moses and By, for example, and is a much better player back then. And I used to think, oh, this guy's really good, and people don't get that he's really good. He's on three hundred grand. I'm like, no, no, he's a really good player. And then all of a sudden, he had that run at five eight where he went really well, and they made the grand final, and he got paid eight hundred grand. And I was like, he's not as good as everyone <laughs> thinks he is. And it's hard because I actually like him. But you start going, no, 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 no. I don't have about 800 grand for him. And each year now, people go, oh, Jack White and Dally M. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'd pay him 800 grand to run my team. And the situation, what we've got here is, is that you bring in a Fogarty and everyone goes, that's a good signing. He's going to free up White and then it'll free White to do this. Jamal Fogarty didn't make the NRL regularly until about a year and a half ago in his mid-20s. He was a Q Cup half for a long, long time and great luck to him. He, he's, he's made a real mm. goal, but to get here, he deserves all, all the props for getting himself here from a lot of guys give up. But he then was at the Titans who were a team that missed the finals and then got in on the cusp of the finals, but got in on the cusp of the finals, leaving like basically when he got injured at one point, they just left him out injured because they liked his replacement better. Who was a young kid like that. It, so <laughs> he was a guy that even though he was captain and played a role in that team, they basically were like, I don't even know if we want to start him. You know, we're still experimenting with someone else three quarters of the way through the year in a mid-level team, a team that was around the cusp of the eight. So basically what we're now saying is, that for some reason signing this guy who's a mid-level halfback from a mid-level team that was fighting for his spot is going to fix Jack White. And in which case you have to start asking the questions is that if you're paying the guy 800 grand, you kind of need him to not need help in your halves. Um, if he needs help, he needs to be on 600, yeah. not, not as your premium. So whilst, you know, I think he will improve them. It does raise your basic question is that you need to be able to get, if you're going to sign a guy on huge money, he needs to be able to do his job. Um, I'm not saying you should organize the side or anything like that. I'm just saying he needs to be able to get his job done without help. Because the point is once you pay 800 to a million dollars, you can't get them the best help. That's just the reality of it because you've paid the money out already. So at Canberra to bounce back, that White needs to be able to play his best football regardless of who is at halfback. Yes, it's a shame that Fogarty's now out and the young kid's in, but they're paying White and he's got a Dally M, he's got a Churchill, he's played rep football. Jack White and has to play Jack Whiten's best football regardless of who his partner is because they're, all, they're paying him the money to be able to do that now. And that's the reality for them and that will hinge their season. It's not going to be on whether the kid is an eight out of 10 or a seven out of 10 or a six. It's going to be on what they get out of white. cause you look at that spine and he's the one, isn't he? He's the one that has to, to carry them. Yeah, he is. And we're going to talk a lot about him in a super coach analysis shortly. Yep. Let's move straight into that. So the guns, there isn't a lot of guns, you know, as far as guys that average nope. 60 plus, there's not many of them. And I'm going to say outright, one of the top ones was Harawi Naira, who's now going to be on the bench. So we can't even really talk about him. But the other guy that was on 61 points a game last year was Hudson Young. Mm. 
not very gunnish when you're talking about him as the Raiders' big gun. Yeah, so that gives you a little bit of an insight into the, into the Raiders' super coach scoring last year. In a year that it was up significantly, the Raiders weren't scoring super coach points. There was hardly anyone getting 60-plus for them. Hudson Young was a guy that was at least getting 61 points. When you're having a look at the numbers, it's, it's interesting. He plays 68 minutes a game through 61 points, um, almost exclusively as an edge-back rower. That's where he's projected to start for round one once TLT hits in a week. You know, it's if he starts there and plays 80 minutes, you'd expect he's 12 minutes undervalued potentially, uh, which is sort of interesting. When you look at his games, five out of the 19 games that he played last year, he actually played sub 80 minutes. And by sub, they were quite sub 80 minutes. Um, so you've got a 19-minute game in there, a 46-minute game in there, a 37-minute game, a 26-minute game, and a 37-minute game. So he averaged well under half a game in minutes in those games that he played. Some of them were due to injury and some of them due to other factors. So you could say, you know, there's about 22% of his games there that were well below the minutes, at least 50% affected on minutes. So all the numbers sort of say, yeah, there could be some value there if he's playing his 80-plus minute role on an edge. The, the thing with that is, though, okay, you said before, Luke, which I, I found interesting, who, who are you going to target? Because, uh, you know, who do you target in a side where you don't really know who's going to score or whatever? Normally, to me, with the style of play with the Raiders, it's the Fords. The Fords are the guys that are going to be super coach relevant for you to target. Problem is that with Ricky Stewart's rotation and the amount of good Fords they have, and that's probably one of the strengths of the Raiders, it's hard to rely on a guy like Hudson Young. So it is a super risk because... The reality is he might not get 80 minutes. Now, Whitehead's on the other side on the edge, which I don't think you can go near for super coach. He's a bit of a dud. He always has been, aside from streaming in for a couple of games for buys and whatever. But he's going to play 80 minutes. So if you've got Corey Howard and Naira on the bench, sometimes he's been used as a 13, but by the bench makeup, probably not going to happen. So does he come on for Hudson Young? And Hudson Young gets his 60 minutes a game and Corey comes on for 20, you know, in which case... Hudson Young's completely killed as an option. So I personally think there's too much risk there because he's 535,000. Even if he was 100 grand cheaper, I'd be really interested, but I still think there's too much risk. But he is someone who I guess wouldn't surprise me, Luke, if he comes out and averages 65, 66 points if he gets that 80 minutes. So he's probably one of the better forwards that they have for super coach. But again, the role is going to be the issue, right? Yeah, I just don't see it. I, I don't think it's worth the risk. I think I could see him having the season you're saying, but they've just got too many players the same. You're going to deal with Harawira and I are on the bench. If they lose a few games, he can take that spot. Um, and that's the sort of change you make. You shuffle the deck chairs by getting him in. They've got Elliot now who may well get shunted there. He's played a lot of edge um, games. There was talk of Whitehead at lock at some point, so he might start there, but then end up back in the edge. They've just got too many players at around the same level. Tapanay goes to the edge. Now, sometimes they've just got all these guys around the same level and rotation. Ricky just really shifts all of them around all the time. There was the year he tried to get horse on an edge. I, I, I just wouldn't want to bank on anyone apart from Whitehead playing 80 minutes on an edge the whole season. Cause I think you'll find it won't happen and you'll get to the end of next year and say, every time Hudson Young played 80 on the edge, he looked good, but this many times he didn't. And we'll have the same debate because while ever he's under Ricky, he's just one of those coaches who rotates his players and roles and rotates their minutes. And that's just, to me, it will keep happening. And you could almost like just copy paste this for the rest of the forwards that we'll end up talking about. It's just that the rotation of, that Ricky does and his ability to fiddle with that is just unhelpful for super coach. So regardless of what the player can do, it's almost not worth the risk unless they're very cheap. Yeah, I agree with Hudson Young. Um, I would look at him in draft, though. I think that he's going to go 
yeah, pretty sure. late yeah. in draft. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to be value because he doesn't have that name value mm-hmm. that others will look for. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, that's a good shout. Joseph Tapani, though, you, you mentioned Joe. Mm-hmm. He's a lot more interesting. So he's actually the highest owned guy that's not a bottom dollar guy. He's 9% of teams at the moment. And that seems to be rising. He's definitely one of those guys this off season that has a groundswell of support. Um, now, he averaged 55 points a game last year. He's a fallen gun. So when we're talking in our fallen gun category, which we're going to start now, he's the guy that's in it. Uh, he has previously been quite gunnish. Um, in 2020, he averaged 62 points a game. In 2018, he averaged 63 points a game. He seems to just have these offset years after every 60-plus year, though. Um, so if you go by that, this is meant to be a 60-plus year. But a lot of people are jumping on him, and he's in a unique situation because it's different than what Hudson Young is when you look at his numbers. He actually didn't get the minutes last year and can really only get more minutes all the same. So he he got 41 minutes a game in 2021. And the minutes is interesting because when you go through how that actually unfolded, uh, he had a 10-minute game where he was hurt. Um, he had a 28-minute game where he was hurt. And then he had all these other minute games, like when he returned from injury in round 14, they very clearly managed him, where for the first three games, he went 36, 39, 39 minutes off the bench and then still off the bench he went 45 and 34 for the next three so that five game sample coming back from injury before he hit his minutes again was really telling so I mean overall you know half of his games played in 2021 were injury injury managed minutes so you'd expect his minutes to be a bit more he went from being a guy that was on the edge the year before to being a 13 or even a number 10 that looks like it's going to stick uh, and he's penciled in to probably start in the middle his minutes, I think the concern was at the start of the year, though. So this is when he was healthy and Ricky Stewart was, you know, running him at full strength to start the year, which is where we're looking at right now. That concerns me a little bit. Round one versus West Tigers 2021, 42 minutes. Scored 100 points, which is great, but 42 minutes is not good. Next week, round two, 41 minutes. You know, and then he got injured. Uh, he returned from injury in round five, 39 minutes and, and 41 minutes in those two weeks. Got injured again um, or was out. I can't remember which. It might have been a suspension actually that time. And he went 31 and 28 minutes off the bench. So even when he was starting at the start of the year of last season, his minutes still looked like that they were low 40s. And that's a real worry to me because I think that that gives you a snapshot of how Ricky saw his minutes unfolding. Certainly towards the back third of the year, um, he averaged more minutes. So from around 19 to around 25, you know, he had a pretty good half a dozen games there where he went 56 minutes, 56 minutes, 49, 43, 52, 57, and then lower in the last round. So he's, he averaged 50-plus minutes in that sample towards the end of the year when he was fully healthy. But do we think that that's what Ricky's going to do? Because if he gets 50 minutes a game, you know, that 41-minute game average is going to get blown away from last year, and all of a sudden you're looking at a 65-plus average and 10 points of value, and a guy that you can get for 485000 that you can put in front row forward or second row forward, which is really handy. I do see the appeal, Luke. He is a guy that has always had really good base-base attack. Um, his offloads and tackle breaks have been pretty strong and he can get over for a try here and there. Only had two last year, so certainly some upside. So the numbers say that there's a bit there. The elephant in the room for people, though, is he's one of those guys that can't play in Queensland at the moment because they haven't confirmed his vaccination status still. So... I was almost interested. I've been on and off this train for a little while, Luke, 
Um, and certainly I think I've been a little bit influenced by everyone's talk and certainly the maths on the numbers, maybe he gets more minutes despite the big pack. But if he can't play any games or needs to sit out, if he goes to Queensland and stuff, and that's going to be early on in the draw, well, I, I think that that's the nail in the coffin for him for me picking him. Yeah, that, that hurts him as well. And the other thing's just, I think the minutes will be inconsistent. That's just, it goes back to they all are. Every every Raiders forward you go through, you come back to having inconsistent minutes, you know. We're already on the second one here where it's not, it's never the same with them. And that's the issue. He will have a run of good games at some point this year, 100%, because he's a good player and they'll have a, he'll, he'll have a 100-point game because he's got a big game in him. And I just think over the course of the year, I, I can't trust him. And you look at that price range, you know, you could pick up Jason Talmalolo because he's priced similarly and you could say his, the point is if he comes back, his best average is going to be in the 70s and this is huge swing. Tapane is almost like he's either going to do this or he's going to maybe at the absolute best make me 10 points and that's good. But is it worth the fact that there's every other chance that for the there'll be some run in the year where he's scoring 35 points and playing 30 minutes for some reason for a month. And then it comes back and, you know, you can miss the good part of the year that way you sell him. And then he, then he goes on his run. There's just too much uncertainty for 480 for me. You can get Jai Arrow who should have an edge roll for a similar price with the same jewels. I look at other guys in that price range and see, I feel like I know their floor better. And I feel like, the ceiling might be higher with just the role they're going to have. Um, and with him... This was the pure minutes. Yeah. Pure minutes. And, you know, um, with a guy like Arrow, just the fact that if he actually is playing 80 minutes on the edge, he's just going to go over for tries at some point because that's what edge forwards do. Um, with Tapani, I think if, if, if we could sit down here now and, some, and like Ricky Stewart gave us some sort of undertaking that he was going to get X amount of minutes every week, then you jump on him because you know what you're going to get. But... With Ricky, you just don't. They're always three losses away from tinkering with this. So even if he comes out for the first three weeks and plays 50 minutes, I'm I'm still, well, 55 minutes, I'd still be going, I'm going to stay away because the upside's still only a 65 average. It's not like a 75. It's not like he becomes the absolute king of the pops with Crichtons and Hasses. He, he, his ceiling is reasonable, but I'm just confident that at some point he'll get tinkered with. It's just one of those coaches um, that does that and it does it all the time. He doesn't play a lot of games either. No, he gets like, hurt. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, it's not like, I think it's almost easier when you get a guy that gets hurt long-term because you just trade yeah. him. Yeah. Um, with him, you know, he missed round four. Then he missed round seven. Then he missed round 10 through 12 and then had the buy and then he came back. You know, it's, it's, an, it's a short enough amount of games where you end up holding him and having to play someone else and also having uncertainty as to is he going to get back next week or is it going to turn into two weeks? And when he does come back, are we going to get those three games from the bench that Ricky did yep. when he returned in round 14 last year where he averaged 35 minutes a game? You know, it's the hurt stuff really does hurt him, no pun intended, yeah. more so than, than, other, than other players. And I do say often, you know, you can't plan for guys to get hurt, you know, but that's if, like, if they're a really good option, don't let it stop you. Um, but... I think there's that many question marks around him where that really comes into the fray even more and certainly how Ricky manages him. I do think that some of the reasons why people look at him are very valid, though. Like the, the few pluses are that you can put him at front row forward, yep. in which case he doesn't have as many comparative guys that you could look at at that price range. I would argue that for Newell Blake, for 15K more, 20K more, is you just do that instead, though. Yep. Um, but certainly, you know, that makes it more appealing. I do think that he's just such a dynamic player and that's a lot more exciting in Supercoach because he does have a bit of a 
an aptitude for the offloads and tackle breaks and being able to, he didn't do it last year, but score some tries and things. So I think that's a lot more exciting yeah. than the, the meat and potatoes guy. So I understand it. I think it's the All-Stars. I just think he looked good in the All-Stars and I think a lot of people have just popped him in. That's I true. really do. I, I, you, everything you said is right, but I reckon everyone wants the All-Stars and I, 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 I would never base my team off, off stuff like that. I think it's a, a risk because we already knew he could do that. That's not the issue mm. but I, yeah yeah I, all that stands but i reckon people just saw that game and i reckon it's pushed his ownership up too high to be honest <laughs> yes yeah that's true as well uh look it's it's hard with him but if you put him in the second row chat like luke said there's 10 guys in that price range that are both safer and that i'd rather have you know you want guys with a low floor put satili tipanua in there tom malolo's just been confirmed for bigger minutes he should do better there uh, there's just Jai Arrow is another one. There's that many guys that seem to have either increased roles or or, uh, or low floors but high high ceilings and certainly 80-minute roles and better minutes that I just don't know what upside you're going to get from going away from those guys to get a, a Joe Tappany in there. Um, and then yeah, you've obviously got the downside there with him as well. So a lot of groundswell for him. Uh, but, yeah, I, th- I think that you need to move away. And really... I've already said it and we'll, we'll close the book on him, but the vaccination status stuff, you'd want it, if you're going to pick him, you'd want it to come out before the first game that he's either been vaccinated or given an exemption to enter Queensland because you can't be yeah. starting someone round one and have them not being able to play games. Yeah. Uh, let's move along to a rising gun. I really like this guy, Luke. Rising gun for them, Starling. At some point, Hodgson has to end his career as a Raider. It was, it was looking like he might have not even played this year, but apparently he is. A lot of the teams have Hodgson starting at nine. Look, I would really, especially now Havili's moved on, I'd be putting Hodgson in that Havili role off the bench. I don't know if Stuart has a heart in him because he likes him too much to do that to him. But, geez, if Tom Starling is starting, it becomes really interesting. Look, he averaged 39 points a game last year. He did that in 44 minutes. If he could get to that 60-minute mark, he might actually start to become interesting because I have swayed over to the side of the dark side of the hooker strategy of, you know, I don't want anyone that's good in my hooker spot. I just want cheap mm. guys there. And Starling's 343000 you know, that's it's a pretty cheap price point. He's in two percent of size. And whilst we talk about the Raiders not having any attack, he is a guy that can actually get some attacking stats in that team. He's just got this old crusty Hodgson sitting there for another year in his way. So if by some way Hodgson can play 15 minutes spelling him and, and, and 20 minutes as a lock for 35 minutes off the bench, you know, that's the role I would probably have Hodgson on at this point based on what we've seen lately. Starling would be great. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Ricky Stewart's going to do it, but it needs to be looked at because he is someone who, maybe not for round one because we're going to see it in TLT, he's not going to get the role, but you should be watching um, Hodgson, uh, Starling carefully because he's going to play round 13 too. And you'd think that the, the Hodgson injury likelihood is is high and also Hodgson even moving on or even just something happening in Canberra um, could happen as well. So Starling is a guy whose numbers look good. When you're looking at the numbers, Luke, before I hand over to you, and I don't mean to have a massive Starling love fest, but when he has started at nine and played bigger minutes, you know, he got the opportunity in round seven. Round seven onwards, he went, 90 points, 57 points, 76 points, 60 points, 31 points. That was his five-game sample. And he didn't get to start again. But in that time, he played 70-plus minutes and was actually really good. Uh, and none of those had a try in them either. That 76 and the 90 is his two top scores. He had some assists, but didn't have a try in there. Uh, so 
he's a guy as well where I always sort of thought he's a bit of a smaller um, hooker and he's more of an attacking hooker. His base isn't that, that phenomenal. His base is actually pretty decent, you know. In those games, his raw base was 48, 53, 56, 54, and then he had an absolute dud game in that last one. But to get sort of a, a 53-odd average in that first month of starting, yeah, that's that's pretty good for a guy like him and better than a lot more fancy attacking hookers. So really like Starling, if you haven't been able to notice. 343K <laughs> is a great price point. It's just Hodgson's going to get in the way, but I've got him on my watch list. Yep. Um, I think in terms, not in real life, in Supercoach, he's the next Damien Cook in waiting. That The year that he is... You know, we spent years every with that Farrah Cook rotation um, at, at South and, and, and when he was before that, when he played a game here and there at the Bulldogs, you'd be going, if they give him the minutes, Cook, it's going to happen. And they're very similar players in real life too, but you go, as soon as he gets the minutes, it's on. And that's the thing with Starling. Um, I don't think it'll be from round one, like you said. Uh, I don't think it'll be at all this year. I think that's, uh, and this is another question mark for for the Canberra forward rotation. I think Hodgson will start at hooker and go to lock mid-game to get Starling some reasonable minutes, um, which will hurt some of the other forwards as well. But I don't think it will give uh, Starling the minutes he needs to be an option now. So if, if Hodgson goes down, it's eyes on and it's big eyes on next year because he's a really good player. Um, I'd only finish, I think you've said it all, I'd only finish by saying that, um, just reminding everyone that the Knights had Starling, he's a Newcastle junior and he wasn't offered a contract. <laughs> um, and Nathan Brown then bought Kurt Mann from the Dragons with the idea of turning him into a hooker, a position he's never played and subsequently didn't play for Newcastle other than when we had two, uh, one guy go out for the season and another guy get signed mid-year and McCulloch can then go down for the season. So, um, just reminding everyone there about the recruitment bona fides of Nathan Brown. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Uh, Warriors fans, hope you covered your ears for that one. Uh, so, look, Tom Starling on uh, Draft Watch, though. Um, I tell you what, I think that some people might be a bit bullish on him. I, I really can't tell with Starling in, in his draft stocks. I think a few, a fair few coaches are going to try and grab him, though. If you can get him at near the end, like he's the type of strategy I really like. Like if if one of your worst players is going to average like 39 points a game, which is what he averaged last year in limited minutes, if that's his floor, it's not that bad if you get him late and if he's your worst starter and you're 17, like, oh, well, yeah, sort of thing. But what you're doing is that you've got a guy that's 100% upside for down the track. So I've talked before with draft about how I really am looking at focusing as much on priming myself for the second half of the season finals run as what I am for the start of the year, unlike mm. real uh, classic super coach terms. And with him, it's that's going to be the case because you'd expect it for that run home, he's going to get more minutes and be a lot stronger as they build towards the future and Starling being their number nine for the next five odd years. So really like him for draft. If you can get him late, um, I think you can bear with him for the early rounds of some mediocre scores uh, and then sort of stick with him for the better ones later on. Big Balls Pod, this is our man Whiten that you were mentioning earlier. I've never liked him for Supercoach. Mm. I always say that he's a mistake. Um, he's he's moved off the mistake category for this this talk and gone into Big Balls Pod category because you do need massive balls to be able to go him. Worst season that he's had last year, though, 47 points a game. It was 11 points down on the year before where he scored 58 points a game, which is, again, a year that we said, don't do it, it's a mistake. And, you know, before he's 47 this year, Luke, he's gone 58, 53, 56, 53. So I just sort of look at his scores and his age. He's sort of in his prime years now and just sort of think, you know what, they look, at worst case scenario, I can't not see value there. Just mathematically, I can't see him doing less than, a you know, a 47 score even or less. You know, he's been 50s the rest of the time. So I see some value there. How much value is going to be the question? 
always the issue when you go through his numbers. You know, he didn't have any big scores. He just never does. He had one, well, I should say, he had one big score of 95, a decent score of 83. But in a year where there was tons raining down, he didn't have a ton. And then when you go to his next best score, and by the way, he played 21 games. So after those top twos, his best score is 61. You know, so he just really jumps, drops off a cliff after his couple of top performances. And then he's just got all these real mm. mediocre 40s and he's got a propensity to have some low scores as well with a 22 being his season low. So he's just he's never offered enough attack in Supercoach. Didn't score anywhere near as many tries last year. You know, he ended up with five tries for the season. That's really low for him as a running half in 21 games that he played. He really should get more than that. And even in a, a poor year this year, I'd expect that he's going to at least get one more try than what he did last year. So there's that upside as well. I don't think that I would have looked at him as a big balls pod, and I don't think I would have even thought about him at all had he not been 412,000. But we've spoken about again at nauseam in these podcasts how the halves are a little bit tricky. Um, if Cleary's not named on Tuesday, it becomes even trickier. Munster's not playing. You know, if you're looking at these 400k halves, a lot of people are looking at cheapy halves that they're calling cheapies that are mid range guys like a Jackson Hastings at 350k. Is it that crazy to say, well, look, if you're going to look at Jackson Hastings at 350, maybe a white and is 60k more and he's bound to bounce back from what he did? You know, I'm at least guaranteed some value, even though if it's got a smaller ceiling. He's 5% owned at the moment, Luke. So some people are thinking about it. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, upside's just not there. Look at the scores. Yeah, he, he's got a little bit of value, but the game isn't about value. It's about scoring points ultimately. And you need to either, you know, there's a lot more value in really cheap guys or there's points in higher end guys. I get that it's tricky, but to me, he's neither. Like he, um, the worry I have, and it always hurts teams earlier in the year is to go, oh, I don't like the look of, say, a Monet. Oh, I don't look the, like, the, like the look of a Monet starting because he's a no-name player who hasn't played much. Um, I'll pick Jack Whiten for, you know, 150 grand more or whatever, um, or 100 plus grand more ever anyway. Um, you get him in and he gets 40 and a Monet gets 50. You know what I mean? Like that happens all the time is that whereas when you pay for Munster or Cleary, like, yeah, okay, it can still happen over one week, but you pay for um, Cody Walker or whatever. Like the point is that Cody Walker is going to get the 150s that a Monet never gets and you're going to catch those. Whereas you can actually, by getting these mid-range guys, even if he goes up to 50, it's just not as valuable as a Monet averaging 40 who's at 280 or whatever. And that's, I think, always got to be the issue you need to be getting someone if you want to get value they need to be really cheap and if and if you're paying up for them they need to score big points and uh, it's never been his game he just frankly doesn't set up enough tries he just doesn't get try assists. I know his tries were down last year but he doesn't set up tries because he's a running 5-8 who is a elite defender in his position he's not even only just a good tackler he's an aggressive tackler and he's very good at that and he's a very good runner of the football but he does not pick the locks of getting the ball and putting guys into space. He doesn't have the bread and butter play of putting a back rower over the line or hitting centers in space. He doesn't do that enough times over a year to get the points he needs to get. Um, and if you want to mention the Hastings example, if Hastings is kicking goals, albeit the Tigers might not score that many, that's just another thing. As long as Hastings tackles and kicks goals, he can get to that Whiten level anyway, in my opinion. I, I just, I, I like Jack in real life, but it, it's just not a super coach. Top kind of player 
Mm. He just doesn't do the things that if you're playing in the halves, you, in the halves, you've got to kick goals a lot of the time. And if you're not, you've got to set up a lot of tries. And he doesn't step a lot of people either. Like he makes big runs where he carries you, but it's not like he does the Kalen Pongers where he goes, oh, hey, he made eight tackle busts on that run or something. That doesn't happen a lot either. He just makes really big, strong runs. And it, there's just stuff missing from a super coach perspective that there's no reason to think will be fixed. And I think, uh, if he goes and averages 55, are you going to be crowing about that, really? If that's what you did with your 5'8 position, I still think there'd be better options than getting him and going, oh, I made an extra eight points or whatever it is. It's, you know, that's just me. Yeah, it, it, it's also one of those misconceptions, I think, with White and that even I have at times where you sort of just assume that his tackle breaks and offloads for his base attack is going to be better. Like his, his raw base yeah. is 27, which is yeah. pretty solid. Um, but when you look at his base base attack, it's actually just under 32. And that's just that's that's pretty bad, you know. You mm. you kind of think that someone like White and a big body, a runner of the ball, is going to get more offloads and tackle breaks. And you look at someone like Dewey, and Adam Dewey gets a mountain of, of tackle breaks yeah. and offloads, yeah. and he's a, another big body that runs the ball a lot and stuff. And you kind of mm. think that Jack White is similar, but he's not. He just does not do it. Um, so that's the problem for me as well. It's I think that I'm. It's a lot more palatable for me than what it is for you to get a guy that doesn't have that high upside. If I think I'm getting a bit of value, but I think that I'm at least getting a, a decent enough score at the start um, mm. of games, but he's not even got a really good floor. And that's what just completely kills yeah. him as, a, as yep. a pod. Like you can get a pod in with a really big ceiling and a bad floor and you've got the big ceiling. You can get a pod in that doesn't have a great ceiling, but has a really good floor. So you're going to get solid scores. If you're not going to get either of those things, then what are you getting the pod in for unless he's really cheap? And he's just probably a hundred grand off being really cheap. So that's, that's sort of the nail in the coffin for White. And, and I'll mm. probably finish off on him too, Luke, by saying something I wanted to say about Joe Tappany. One of the things that you'll notice if you look, trawl through the numbers is you were never going to do well trading these guys out because they never make their money back. <laughs> you know, like yeah, Tappany yeah. didn't make his starting price back until like round 21 or something. Um, White basically didn't fluctuate from his starting price much ever the whole time. And if that's the case, you know, what are you getting them in for? Because with other guys, at least you can wait for a run. And even if it's a run that's not that great, you can go, oh, well, you know, at least I made 75K and he was a placeholder for six weeks until I could figure out the season and who I wanted. You're going to be lucky to get any money out of it. So you're going to be doing like a an even money trade or even a loss trade sometimes to get someone like White out of your side. And it's they had not very many positives. So as much as I kind of thought about it, Luke, because they look like there could be some value there and because his price was reasonably cheap where you have a look, there's just no boxes ticked. And even if he improves, there isn't really because maybe he goes from his 412 to 445K by the time that you actually trade him and it's just not worth it. So let's move on. Controversial chat slash mistake of this Canberra Raiders team for Supercoach for round one. I'm going to go Josh Papali'i. He is a guy that I have really liked in the past. I've targeted Big Josh before on runs, especially against Tigers' edges and things where he just runs rampant. Ended up having a gun season, but I didn't put him in the gun status either because he was 59.5, but I guess you can round it up to 60. Is his lowest season. You know, before his 60 points in 2021, he was 63, 65, 64, 66. He was always, you know, 63 to 66 type of range. And he really looked off the boil last year. Um, when he started the season, he started pretty slow the first couple of weeks, 33 points, 57 points, only averaged 49 minutes the first two weeks. Uh, got inflated minutes week three at 69 
uh, but then he busted out with a try and scored 92 and people sort of thought he was back. And then he hit 64, 63, 51. And then after scoring that, he had a week out and then he came back for two and had another couple of weeks out. And I really thought it was down to his fitness. Now, he's another guy who we're not exactly sure on the, the vaccination status of either, but he's also another guy that's a bit of a fan favourite where they won't look at the numbers as much which is showing a, a pretty clear decline. They'll kind of just look at him at 522,000 as a pod front row forward option and a guy that's, that's still carved up for Queensland last year and plays really well in an origin jersey and sort of think, oh, well, you know, Big Papa's going to come home and, and play well for me. It doesn't matter. And nobody's owning him at 3%. It's just not going to work this year. I do think some of the shine of Big Josh for super coaches has gone for the last couple of years, but certainly looking at last year's numbers and just scra- scraping it at a 60. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty big mistake if you start with Papali this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I just think that forwards slow down a bit with age. Um, I think he was always a bit of a run player. Like he was never like he wasn't the sort of guy you'd lock in at round one and think you'd get twenty games from. You sort of had to pick it. And I think that's why I steer away from him for a round one because I'm always like, oh. I'm not the best at picking him, but maybe if I'm going to look, I need to wait for the right time. And forwards just slow down with age, right? Like mm. if, if you keep playing for long enough, you stop getting all those high stats, which doesn't mean you don't have a role to play. 30 this season um, as well. So, Yeah, that's right. So I, I just wouldn't be looking for round one. And if, I'm, if we're wrong, you know, if he comes out and does what we've seen him do before, then absolutely have eyes on for the run home after origin. If they're challenging for the eight and he's playing good footy, then they'll need big minutes from him. Um, but no, I, I just think it's a pretty easy miss for the start, and I'd agree with everything you said. He seems to, he does seem to play himself into into form and into fitness and stuff as well. Um, so it's, it yep. certainly doesn't happen at the start of the years, and certainly had some bigger games around that origin period. It sort of spurs him on, and he had some bigger games after that. Where certainly, I'm not saying he's not going to be a buy at any point, uh, but we're talking just for round one here. And if you look at round one in 2020 as well, he came out uh, again averaging less than 50 minutes a game. So Ricky Stewart definitely seems to manage it a little bit. And he went 58, 50 and 56 points. Not terrible, but for a number of years now, it's been a, it's been a month of footy before he starts to even hit his straps in minutes. So definitely a no-go for me. Yeah. Great. Uh, moving along. We're talking about the mids and cheapies now, Luke. And we are... It's really sad for Fogarty. Let me say that first, so I don't sound like an absolute asshole <laughs> that he got injured. Uh, it is it is sad. It's going to be harder for the Raiders as well. <laughs> but from a super coach perspective, it is the type of things that really open up opportunities. And Brad Schneider has now been named by Ricky Stewart already as the guy that he's going to replace that number seven jersey for the Canberra Raiders for round one. He's one hundred eighty eight thousand dollars. Has not played a game. Oh, sorry, he played one game last year where he played 10 minutes and scored six points. So we don't have any numbers to go by. But the term must-have gets thrown around way too much, which I've lamented many times, Luke. A guy that is locked in as a starting half for an NRL team at bottom dollar price pretty much, that's uh, going to make Brad Schneider a must-have unless there was other guys that you definitely had to have instead. But with the four half spots that you have to play with, uh, I'm going to put him in the, the pick of them. Him and him and Ilias are great. Um, I guess you could split hairs over him and Ilias. So I'm going to have them both. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that he's pretty close to a must-have, being that he's got no competition at all. And I don't think that he's going to be dropped unless he plays really terribly and you should make the money out of it anyway if that happens. Yeah, I mean, just lock it in. Um, there's no – there's no. we've got one other. We don't have two others. So when unless you have three base price rookies in the halves, there's no point debating it, right? You just get 
a two that are there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I lock him in. Easy. Done. And if he doesn't work out, we'll fix it later. But I think everyone should have him in for now. Yeah, have those guys on the bench. And I think it's also where, where you need to be flexible in your team builds too. Like if you're someone who wanted to stack your halves and you've got like three really good halves out of your four and you had like young Ilias there as your cheapy half, you got to be able to, you got to be dynamic with your strategy and be able to change it and just say, look, I'm not going to get that type of cheapy value and quick money anywhere else in my other positions. Yep. So I need to pick out of those three who I'm going to cull to, to fit him in. Um, don't just try and be really pig-headed and just say, no, nah, I'm sticking with my strategy. You've got to be able to change and be pretty dynamic, especially before round one with all these type of changes. Uh, so looking at the mid-range, guys, there's a few, a couple of seasoned veterans um, and a bit of an up-and-comer here, that, none of which are cheap, but they're mid-rangers. One of them I have picked before in this situation a few years ago, and it just it was a little bit underwhelming for me, but it, it was never bad scores. And I'm finding myself doing it again. I'm looking at Nick Kotrick. Now, he is coming off a 43-point average in 2021. In 2020 for the Raiders, he was 48, so he's only five points better. So there's not a huge amount of value there. Luke, the reason I'm looking at it is he's a little bit older now. He's still only like 23 years old. So people forget how young Kotrich is. You know, he's still pretty young and he played a much higher work rate of footy at the Canberra Raiders where he was running a lot more. He was like a top 10 type of center wing in tackle breaks and he can get back to those tackle breaks and things. You know, he could easily go, you know, the 48 sort of 50 type of range, which is a bit of value there. It's not great. Uh, I'm not terribly considering it but one of the things that sort of kept poking out at me with him is 376,000 you know there's all these guys that I also don't think are very good that are sort of 350 that people are throwing in their center wing and I sort of like well yeah I sort of feel like I know what Nick Kotrick is and, and maybe he can improve and stuff and he's got a bit more talent than some of these other guys obviously the first three weeks are pretty good draw so you kind of hope that maybe you'd start off those first few few weeks with some bumper scores um, and be able to help you out. I know he's not a great option, but it's just that price tag has come all the way down to those mid-300s, um, which is what a lot of our centre-wing uh, mid-range guys that are in a lot of teams at the moment, like the Penasinis and stuff, kind of a price tag, you know. So is there any realm of possibility that we can see some cottage improvement where those mid-300s numbers are, are, are a decent shout to start with? Uh, I wouldn't start him. I think there's a decent chance he does better than that. But I just think you need to target outside backs that are either really cheap or playing in um, systems where they're going to score. Last year was a, you know, I think it'll be similar to last year. that They've brought some of the rules back, but I think it showed last year that there's there's players in certain positions in the right teams that just scored, no matter who's there, Um, you know, and, and the Raiders aren't one of those teams. Um, I think Yousef is the great example is that if you look at games played on the left wing, he was the second best averaging try scorer on that wing because Josh Mansour played one game there and got a hat trick. Um, so like in that Alex Johnson run, and we all say how good Alex Johnson was last year when he was out, but his replacement got a hat trick. So it was like left wing, south place to be. And you have to look at those more than the player sometimes. So if Kotrick was playing in one of those positions, I'd be like, oh, he busts tackles, he does all that. And the tries and yeah, like keeper, he could even be a keeper with all that thrown in. But but with Canberra, all I see is that his tackle bus and runs may go up. 
if he wants to get back to where he was, but not everyone does. A lot of guys burst on the scene and fade. We see that a lot too, so there's no guarantees, but I see the potential, um, but I don't see the glut of tries um, from him that we're going to need to make substantial gains and not just substantial gains, but what you were talking about before with selling guys at a profit, um, I don't see necessarily they're going to be a run of games where he's going to do it repeatedly. Um, anyone could yep. score two or three tries one week, but I don't see him their setup and their systems being one where Kotrick could go double, then a double, then a double, and you sell him for the huge profit, like say an Ado Car has done at Melbourne, when you could get Ado Car for three fifty after a run of twenties, and you knew that he was going to probably go hundred hundred in a row, and you'd really pick it up. I don't really see that for him, to be honest, this year, and 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 I, yeah, I, I'd just be staying away from from him. I think it, you know around that price range, there's a lot I'd stay away from, and he's probably one of them. In his 2020 season with the Raiders, the last one that he played with them, mm. he scored in 60% of his games, which is a pretty good strike yeah. rate, but obviously still only had that 48 average. Um, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. And when you look at the ceiling, like he actually had, you know, he played back-to-back games in round 20 against the Broncos and Titans, which is a really good matchup, and he scored 102 and 82 points. Both of those were doubles where he scored two tries. Yeah. Then you look at some of the look at some of the singles though, and he went like a try for forty one yeah. and a try for forty, and you go, oh well, you know, I'm not necessarily going to get good points even when he scores. Yeah, that, that's true. And also, just you, you've mentioned their early draw a little bit. That I still think they could be one from three from those three games, especially with a new halfback we don't know much about. Mm. And um, I, I agree, it's not a bad draw by any means um, at all. But we don't know much about them. An early year, like Cronulla finished around where the Raiders did last year, but Cronulla have improved their roster. Most people would argue. So um, Cronulla could come out and start really well and beat the Raiders comfortably. The Titans are, you know, were a better side last year than the Raiders. So again, like the Raiders could score well against them, but the Titans could also come out and and beat them. So I I think they're not a good enough side to say that draw is a big enough lure. Um, It would be if they were a bit better, but there's still plenty of scenarios where they don't play well in those games either. That's the only thing. So I'd just steer, I'd be steering clear from him. If it was, if it was, 290, yeah, for sure. But but yeah, not where he is. I agree. If he was that bit cheaper, I'd, I'd be well into him. Um, but he isn't, unfortunately. Uh, but you'd raise a really good point, which is why I need to mention the fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport, www.topsport.com.au or jump on and download the app and have a look. They have the Canberra Raiders uh, initially as favourites and still even money with the Sharks. And I tell you what, I'm smashing a $1.92 for the Sharks to win that game now with uh, the rookie halfback and everything. So uh, you can get some really good odds at the moment for those round one matchups. And betting against the Raiders is one of the ones that I really like right now on Top Sport. But Top Sport is Australia's 100% owned bookmaker that often have bets in the market. You'll probably find better odds to back on the Sharkies in most places. And I tell you what, We've got a great promo code. It's SC All Stars, or one word. If you go on there and make an account today and put SC All Stars as a promo code, they'll see that you're one of our listeners and you come from this podcast and they'll take great care of you. So please, if you are going to gamble, do it responsibly, but do it with Top Sport and do it with the promo code for the All Stars podcast, SC All Stars, and check out those NRL odds today. I think you'll find some really good value ones. Luke, another one, older player, been around in Canberra his whole career, Jared Croker. Another guy that I looked at because he is terrible for Supercoach at times and he has been in recent seasons. But again, you look at the money and go, 321000 You know, do I want to pay like a, a relative Broncos rookie that money or do I want to just give it to, you know, a goal-kicking centre wing that's, that's at the Canberra Raiders and captaining them? Really tough. 
But that's the only reason he's become a little bit relevant to even look at is because he's only 321000 which is the cheapest price he's ever been. He's coming off 37-point average in 2021 where he only played 12 games um, and he's just been really poor. You know, he's, his base has been terrible, but his goal-kicking is what's really kept him afloat in the past. He hasn't, like, really been a gun at any point in the last five years, even though people sort of mention him as one. You know, his best season in the last five has been 2018 at 54 points a game. That's gone 54, 53, 44, and 37. But 37 is a really low bar for a goal kicker, even in a poor attacking team. So I start to see why people might want to have a look at him. Um, There has been rumours and also, well, not rumours, he has been injured the last couple of years, but there's been some sort of rumoured talk that it's affected him more than what people have realised the last two seasons. Maybe coming into the season as healthy, captain, um, gunning for the all-time goal-kicking records and that type of thing. Maybe he's going to be a lot better than 37 points a game. Maybe it's a lot safer than paying 320K for some of these other um, rookie or sophomore sort of guys in your centre wing. He's never put up great base stats. He can go kick and still give you 25 points a game. I'm I'm not going to do it because I've been burnt so many times with Jared Croker. But again, if we don't get a gluttony of like bottom dollar centre wings names or any, and you're looking at 300K plus guys everywhere in your centre wing, He's right there and he goal kicks. You know, I can see why people are looking. I'm sort of in my head, Luke, going a bit crazy because I'm thinking, Jared Croker, goal kicking, I should just do it. But then I'm thinking, no, no, goal kicking always works, except when it's Jared Croker and it still doesn't convert. So just leave it alone. No, no interest at all. Um, I just pulled an article up now from literally three weeks ago. Underwent revolutionary stem cell surgery on his knee in the off-season. Couldn't walk upstairs last year. Um has what what have we got here that he went under the he had three surgeries on his knee none of them worked or or, or something like that he had minor, yeah minor surgeries on his knee didn't work last year had the revolutionary surgery which is never good to fend off medical retirement um he was throbbing in bed he was listed to be out for the start of the season but they're now saying he's back so I don't see him as healthy I see him as coming back and hoping they can get him on the field and get it done um He's saying, here's his quote, at the moment it's ticking along nicely. It's had his days where I'm doing things that I couldn't do in the last two years, but whether it's good enough to get through a season of NRL and three more, well, we're, we're not going to know until we try it. So he's not even saying he's confident he's going to play a whole year. Um, so if you get him on the field, he's underdone, his knees cooked, and he hasn't been good for super coach for years. Just stay away. He's uh, he's the next Andrew Fafida. He's the guy we were looking at every year, mm-hmm. the last couple, because he was so yep. cheap for Andrew Fafida but he was just done because his body was done. His knee was done. And that's, that's the Croker situation that unless he comes back, um, you know, unless he plays two games this year and comes back at 180 next year, then obviously we'll have a look. But I think he, his knee is cooked and he, I, I just can't see it. I, I just stay away. You'd be better off. Just I, I, honestly, if Jared Croker was the best option, I would take enough and save a hundred grand seriously, <laughs> and just play a, a better starting center and have enough as my last spot. It's um yeah. it's I just don't say I think he'll come out and score twenty and thirty all the time. Yeah, it's funny. Like a lot of the time when someone's goal kicking, it's a it's a real big plus. Mm. But with him, he's just done it for so many years, and we've seen him still score really poorly with it. Yeah. So sometimes you just I often gravitate and give the edge to the guys that are a known quantity if they're the same price as guys that have hardly played. Um, yep. When you're looking at those cheapies or mids, but there's always got to be exceptions, and this is an exception. I would rather go for the upside that an unknown quantity is going to give you than uh, than Croker because at worst they're probably going to hit the, their floor on that 
player you don't know about is going to be the same as what Darren Croker is going to produce anyway. Yeah. So the last guy, fan favourite, one of my favourites. I loved him coming through. I was really dirty. The Roosters didn't try and sign him, and I thought that really most NRL clubs were stupid not to try and get him cheap early when he wasn't getting enough minutes from Canberra. Uh, and that is the horse, big Corey Horsburgh. Now, he comes in pretty cheap. Um, he was a guy that I really liked having last year. Like, he started off um, in 2020. I shouldn't say last year. He's a guy I was really excited to have in 2020. Uh, came in, averaged 54 minutes a game, the first sort of five games, and averaged almost 60 points a game. Um, and then he ended up having an injury, and then that was all she wrote. But for those five games, it was really good. He was like a gun, um, just scraping at 60 points. 54 minutes is all he needed to do that. And, and he was really good to have. Fast forward now to 2022, um, he's penciled in to be coming off the bench. He's coming off a 47-point average, so he's only $415,000, and he's a dual front row forward, second row forward. Slightly awkward in price. Um, if he was 350K, geez, I'd be starting to get a bit tempted even. You know, if he was coming off the bench, he's, he's still probably going to get 40. He's still definitely going to get 40-plus minutes, and with his PPM, you know, that would actually make it decent enough because he's a guy you can play. And he's also a guy whose role could continue. And one of the things that that Raiders pack does have is it does have a lot of guys that are going to sit out. You know, it does have guys that are either going to get injured or suspended. There's heaps of them. Papali'i, uh, Tapani, um, those are two prime examples of guys that, that are going to get suspended or, or injured at various points. And someone like Horsburgh is going to step in and be able to start for them. Now, I really like Horsburgh as a player. Um, 415K is a bit too much. I wish he was a bit less as a uh, as a mid-ranger, Luke, but he's always on my watch list. Um, he's a guy that I love getting in, in draft off waiver-wise as well, sitting on my bench and just plugging in as a front row forward, second row forward, dual as well. He's only scored 47 points a game last year. That's you know nine points down on the year before, but it's because he only got to play 34 minutes a game and 10 games in 2021. So you could even argue if he's off the bench, you know, I think it's a bit too crazy for me. I can't even do it as a horse lover, but you could even argue that, look, he, he could play 10 minutes more off the bench still than what he's priced at and then could still give you 55 plus. You know, is there any wrong possibility you can see that working out? Uh, no, not with rotation, Ricky. He's just too expensive. You look in the second row and front row, if you're going to take a real punt, He's not that much cheaper. If you go into the high fours, there's a lot of second row options. Um, I think if you go into even down, you could, you're going to get a Cowboys edge probably from the mid threes that we know that they're going to play big minutes on an edge. Uh, you go in the front row and I think, you know, you, you probably got like, if you're going to take a punt on horse in the front row, just you take a punt on Stefano, who I'm not that keen on, but just, I mean, I know a lot more what I'm going to get out of that and if you want to take a red hot punt you've spoken about Jacob Safidi before who's a bit cheaper is probably a go I just think there's other options in all of those positions that I would either not do it and he's too expensive to be a cheapie um, and he's not quite good enough to be your starter so I just don't see it if it comes later in the year if he gets a good role he'll get the he gets good scores if he gets good minutes. So if we see some evidence of that later, I'd have a look, but it comes back to Ricky rotating them around and changing things. I just, I'm not interested in any of them to be honest. And he's just another one on that list. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm going to throw down again, reiterate. I do love the horse <laughs> 70 K cheaper. I'd be in there, but um, yeah, it's, it's really sad finishing off the Raiders pod like this, Luke, but really the reality is they were not a great attacking side. They didn't really have any guns, 
hardly at all in one of the best supercoach scoring seasons of all time. And they're coming in this year much the same. And they've just got too many forwards that need to eat. And it's just Ricky Stewart as well. So just not a great supercoach team. They will finish much higher than what their supercoach ranking would be as far as their supercoach relevance. So on that note, We'll finish up the Raiders right now. Luke, thank you very much for jumping on the podcast to discuss the Supercoach options on the Raiders with me once again. It was a pleasure. Cheers, mate. Enjoyed it. Can't wait to come back again. Luke is also the co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. Fantastic podcast. If you love old rugby league games, they get some old ones out of the vault from the last 40 years plus and have a look at them. Uh, it's, it's great for any rugby league tragics to listen to or even any new rugby league fans that want to hear about some old players and games. Get on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. It's available everywhere, as is this podcast. You can download the NRL All-Stars podcast on iTunes, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud and follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars for all the updates and news on new pods that are dropping. We have a couple of more preseason episodes to come for the Supercoach purposes. We have another footy chat next week and we'll also have TLT just a week away. So good luck with your teams, guys. It's getting real close. Thanks for listening and downloading and following. We'll be chatting again very soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.